Welcome to the Good Growing Podcast. I am Chris Enroth, horticulture educator with University of Illinois Extension, coming at you from Jacksonville, Illinois. Um, we have a bit of a different uh, setup for folks today. We are all seeing each other, and Katie, Ken, I didn't know, I didn't know we all, we all looked like this. So I've only seen from like shoulders up. <laughs> I didn't know you had legs. Yeah, <laughs> you got here. That's amazing. <laughs> So we all, but we do all own cars and we were able to drive here and see each other face to face. So first time doing this since we've done the podcast. Um, and so this is a new experience for us. Uh, so if you're listening, this is probably no different, uh, except for maybe a little bit more echoey because we're in a large room here where we're at. Um, but if you're watching us on YouTube, yeah, there are faces and we are sitting next to each other instead of in our Brady box setups or Brady box, Brady bunch. That's the name of the show, right? Pretty much. Pretty box. I know what I'm saying. Um, but, you know, that that's just, uh, that's our setup for today. We must introduce our, our co-host with us every single week. So Katie Parker, local foods educator from Adams County, also in Jacksonville, though. So Yeah. Yeah. Might just have to join your unit, kid. <laughs> <laughs> We're all here. <laughs> yeah. Ample room in all of the office space. So I think uh, Ken definitely has room for Katie and I, yes. yes Our rates are reasonable. Yeah, good reasonable rates. <laughs> Donuts, you know, lunches. Donuts, cake, yeah. Cake. Anything okay. wow. you can find. All right, sounds good. And of course, Ken Johnson, uh, horticulture educator based here in Jacksonville. We've got some room in the basement. Oh, so you have a, the offices down there. See, my, none of my offices have a basement. I'm This is looking better every day. Yes, you can put me in the basement. Start cleaning them up for you. Thank you. Me and the cobwebs, which are fine. So. Uh, and of course, our special guest today, we're going to be talking about ponds, uh, kind of, we're talking about algal blooms, and uh, but we're joined by energy and environment educator, Dwayne Friend. Dwayne, thank you for walking down the hall and, and joining us today. Yeah, I was going to say, I've, I've been in here for a year and a half. I've been waiting for you guys. And I need to get here. <laughs> yes, that email did go out in 2019. So <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> um, but so today uh, we're going to be talking about ponds and, and talking about algae, but a couple other things because, you know, it, it's a common question. It comes in a lot during extension office, uh, mostly during the growing season, about how to take care of ponds. We're talking algae, weeds, but other management things like that. So, but Dwayne, so my wife and I, we debate about all sorts of things. Of course, we would debate, you know, we're driving by and we see, oh, that's a pond. She's like, no, it's a lake. No, that, that's, a, that's a lake. And this is a pond. And like Lake Michigan, that's a lake. So tell me, Dwayne, how would you describe a pond? What is the scope of what we're talking about today? That is a good question, and I'm going to refer back to the Illinois Department of Natural Resources, hmm. uh, their definition of a that defining line between a pond and a lake, and it's basically about 20 acres. Really? Okay. Yeah. So, so I've been right this whole time. Okay. You know, and that's that's their <laughs> definition. I don't know if there's other definitions out there, but uh, yeah. So we'll just go with that. 20 acres. Okay. So when we're talking, we're talking about 20 acre size ponds. Um, and I think we're going to be talking whether you have a farm pond, so maybe you have pasture or agriculture around it, or whether you were, live in a, a neighborhood setting. So you might have lawns or something around that. If that's fair, yeah, that's kind of the scope we're looking at. Today. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. So, Dwayne, uh, a lot of questions that we're getting um, this time of year are about algal blooms. And so can you tell us more about 
algal blooms, how to identify one, and then um, how to identify if it's dangerous. Now, I've been getting about probably eight to 15 calls for the last few months I don't, uh, on I don't uh, ponds from various places around the state. And I would say probably at least 50% of them are more on algal blooms. Okay. And um, that's something that usually we start getting questions about that in March, mm -hmm. and it'll go through till about the end of August. And um, yeah, one of the one of the big questions is that they're, they're always concerned and we have people actually bringing in samples from time to time asking if that algae is toxic. And sometimes it's it's really not that easy to determine. It's not something that you could just look at it and definitively say, no, there's no problem with that. But typically, if it's going to be one of those, uh, uh, let's call cyanobacteria type of blooms, if you look at the pond and it looks like it's got this bright green paint on it, very shiny, almost metallic color, that's that's a very good indicator that it could very well be one of those types of blooms. And um, honestly, don't see that very often on ponds. For the most part, most of it's that filamentous, filamentous algae um, and those typical types of algae that you see in, in most farm ponds. So getting that I guess the first thing that I want to mention for sure is that not very many at all of those algal blooms are actually toxic. But if you do end up having that type of bloom, it, it is, it, it's not something that if you stick your finger in it, you're going to die, but uh, you don't want to stick your finger in it. You don't want to expose skin to uh, your skin to it because it is, can be an irritant. You don't want to let your pets get into it. You don't want your uh, livestock to get into it. So, um, then the question becomes, what do you do with it? And um, you, you can kill it out, although um, this time of year, we're, we're really backing away from telling people to kill out most of their pond weeds because as the summer goes along, water temperatures increase. And as water temperature increases, our, uh, the oxygen supply in that water goes down. So then the fish don't have as much oxygen to begin with. And then you kill out a whole lot of plant growth all at once. And that takes the oxygen levels almost down to zero. And um, then you have situations where people are frantically calling in and saying, I've got all of these fish uh, laying up on the, the water and what do I do? And a lot of times they immediately wanna go to assuming that it was some kind of a chemical problem. Mm -hmm. uh, and that what happens in, in some situations is that maybe they have applied a herbicide to a, a pond and killed out the vast majority of the weeds and they had an oxygen depletion problem and that's what killed the fish. It wasn't the herbicides, but it was that oxygen depletion. So, um, you know, at this time of year, we, we really kind of back away from having people put much onto their ponds. Maybe if they want to do some sections at a time, uh, some herbicides, which we may get into talking about a little bit later, are systemic herbicides where you have to treat the whole pond up to a certain concentration. Those you may not want to do anymore at this time of year, but if you can do spot spraying and those type of things, you can do that. Um, so for the, the regular algae as well, I am beginning to see a lot of that starting to, to die out as well. So uh, really not recommending a whole lot of work being done on that right now as well, simply because there are it's already beginning to die out naturally. So I guess the two big takeaways is um, don't, don't immediately assume that the, the algae that's in the pond is toxic because in the vast majority of cases it's not. And um, if you do suspect that it is, 
Um, you know, you can try to bring it into a, an extension office and see if we have someone available that could maybe help uh, determine what it is or take at the very least take a digital picture of it, send it in, and then we can kind of go from there with it. Is there just like a simple or water test that you can do or is it mostly based off site? Um, site, uh, most of the time for water tests, uh, since um, you can't take it into the local health department or anything like that, uh, you're going to have to send it into a private lab for microbiological analysis and that can get pretty costly. Mm -hmm. So if you do have an algal bloom, is it still okay to fish and eat that fish if it's not toxic? Yeah, yeah. Just uh, be sure to have plenty of fishing line because you're probably going to lose some of those fishing <laughs> lines and lures if you try to drag it through there. Now, I have had some instances where people have actually physically raked some of that filamentous algae out. I don't know if anybody's ever tried that, but that is really difficult to do really it's you know it's so wet and then mm -hmm. you pile a bunch of it up on the uh, on the bank and um i haven't been around it but i would guess that it's probably going to start smelling mm -hmm. pretty nasty after a few days so uh but i give kudos to those that have, have break that out because it's very physically demanding work and that's one option that people could do at this time of year if they wanted to maybe do a small section to right. get to for fishing but uh, as far as fishing and those types of things, yeah, they can go ahead and do that. Just, um, yeah, you're going to have to contend with what's there. Mm -hmm. Now, if they've treated their pond with something like copper sulfate, is it still okay to eat that fish? What we always recommend people do is to read those labels on whatever herbicide they're using, and it will give very specific directions on what restrictions there are. Carper sulfate is one of those that actually has some of the least restrictions in terms of drinking and fishing and those kind of things. Uh, some of the others may have a week, some may have several weeks. Uh, so we always tell people to very closely read those directions and they, they will give you exactly the, the amount of time you have to wait before using it for swimming, fishing, drinking, whatever. I have pulled in some monsters on some, uh, we'll just say, uh, vegetative ponds, uh, and mm -hmm. you reel them in, and you pull all the moss and stuff off there, and you get this little sunfish on the end of it. It's <laughs> kind of disappointing. You think you got something big, but nah, it's mostly algae. Mostly just <laughs> algae. Yeah. All right. So sometimes you see um, like aerators and stuff on ponds. Mm -hmm. What exactly are people using those for? Uh, a lot of times it's more for looks than anything. <laughs> but, uh, and, and they are very aesthetically pleasing. You got those fountains shooting up water and that looks really nice. Now they are adding some oxygen into the water. So uh, that is the benefit from doing that. And uh, sometimes folks will say, well, it's, it's killing out the plants. It's not killing out the plants. All it's doing is pushing it off to the edges. So you don't have it right there where the, where the water is falling down on the water and those waves are pushing it away. Um, so that's, that's the main benefit is it's adding that dissolved oxygen in there. So um, hopefully you don't have a fish kill when that plant material starts to die out. But um, you know, I'm sorry, folks, it does not kill any plants. It doesn't take away any plants or anything like that. And the other thing I will mention real quick is when you do have living vegetation in there, as long as that living vegetation is there, as long as it's photosynthesizing during the day, it is pumping water into that water, into, <laughs> pumping air into that water. Mm -hmm. So uh, and what you'll see on a daily basis is you'll see the highest oxygen concentrations usually about mid-afternoon, lowest levels will be about right before sunrise. So if you go out on your pond and you go out right at sunrise, you see some big fish out there and they're gasping for air, 
that's a giveaway. You've got very low oxygen to the mm -hmm. pump. Interesting. So then when it comes to those aerators, should those be run during the winter? Or do you typically turn those off? Uh, if there is, um, if we have a really cold, long-lasting winter and we have ice on the, on the pond, uh, there can be a winter fish kill because as that ice covers over the pond, obviously there's not going to be a lot of uh, oxygen interaction between the atmosphere and the water. So that cuts down on the oxygen. If you add snow cover on top of that ice, even during the wintertime, there is some photosynthesis going on. So there's still some oxygen being pumped into that water. But if you put snow on top of the ice, that cuts down on any sunlight getting through there. And you could very easily have a fish kill during that scenario. And people won't know that there's a fish kill until they go out the next spring and try to throw a line in and they catch nothing. Mm -hmm. uh, so adding an aerator, it's, it's kind of up to the individual if they want to do that. Uh, most years, especially the, the winters we've had for the last 10 or 15 years, we really haven't contend too much with ice being on that on those ponds for long periods of time. So um, it, is it really absolutely unnecessary? I would say no. But if they want to use it, it's not going to hurt anything either. The pond is well built. You know, if, it's, if it's deep enough, you probably wouldn't need something like that, right? Right. And DNR, IDNR usually suggests that it be at least eight feet deep uh, to guard against any type of problems with um, the, the water getting too cold or mm -hmm. That kind of thing. So kind of shifting a little bit away from, from algae, but talking a little bit more about maybe plants that are emerging from the water, some floating or submerged, but maybe more broadly type plants. Um, controlling things like cattails. That's a very common question that I seem mm -hmm. to get. Um, and, and I guess, you know, oftentimes I first ask, well, do we want to be controlling cattails? Can they ruin a pond? And then if so, like how, how do we do that with something that's emerged above the water mm -hmm. versus something like an algae that's floating in or under the water surface? Well, and that's a really good point that you make that do we want to, as I know some folks like to have a pristine pond with absolutely nothing on it and looking like Lake Tahoe or something like that. Yeah. But um, it's good to have some plant material in there. Usually this, it's, just, it's suggested that you have around a quarter of the pond have some type of plant material on it and that's you know, kind of a happy medium between that. Um, now, as far as cattails, you know, if, if there's some area where you want to clear out a small section of it, uh, you can do that. And actually for cattails, um, we're actually coming into the prime season when that should be controlled. Uh, actually, the best time to do that is about mid to late September. Okay. When uh, the cattails are taking those food reserves down into the root systems, and uh, you could use a aquatic version of Roundup, which is, I believe it's Rodeo, I think Rodeo. Um, and can spray that on the cattails and, and that will do a really good job of control for cattails that time of year. If you try to do it in the springtime, it's not gonna be as good because all, everything's going up into the above ground growth, but doing it this time of year, uh, you get really good control with that. Okay. Now for other types of plants, say surface floating plants and those kind of things, uh, again, you're probably looking at those types of chemicals that would have more of a systemic type of control where you have to get a certain concentration of that chemical within the water. Uh, and that's one of those things that we're kind of saying it's a little bit late in the year to do that. Um, so we've had a person um, contact us about a pond that had cattle in it. And so the cattle eroded uh, part of the, the, the dam of the pond 
Um, and so this person had fixed that damage and they're wanting to reseed around the pond. Is there anything that you would suggest for reseeding? First of all, I'm just picturing in my mind somebody with this large fishing line throwing out to the cattle on there. <laughs> you have to have steak tonight. <laughs> Sounds like a far side or something. Um, there, there are several different types of seedings that you could do. Um, you know, things like, um, uh, and my mind just went blank, uh, smooth brome and clover and those types of things. And the other thing, uh, especially at this time of year, um, you know, you can still do some seeding at this time of year and it'd be okay, but it may not hurt, especially on something like that to put in a temporary seeding of maybe oats or something over that to get that flush of, of material, especially after the rains that we've had in the last couple of weeks, um, you need something on there so that it doesn't erode away before this other regular seeding gets established. Uh, but there are several different options out there. And again, one of those things that people can do if, if they have that type of critical area seeding, uh, they could either, again, contact our, our local extension office. And um, you know, if someone isn't available right there to in that office to get it, they can send it to someone who can give them that information. Uh, also, the local NRCS office has uh, mm -hmm. listings of seeding mixes for those uh, dams that can be given to real easily. Yeah, keep those cattle off. <laughs> Put a fence up. All right, so we had another question come in um, talking about duckweed. And I personally kind of like duckweed. I'm always want to get rid of it. <laughs> but um, they're removing duckweed from their pond by a tractor bucket load. Um, they're surrounded by prairie and timber. Um, they want to know why it keeps, this duckweed keeps growing and how can they can prevent it? Uh, well, they can, they can control it. They're never going to prevent it. Um, sorry to say. But duckweed can come in just like the name implies. It can get on burrs and, and other things, go from one pond to another and it'll come right back. And one of the things that people may notice too, especially in the springtime, they might have a nice clean pond and then the next day they look at it and it's almost covered with it. And one of the things that happens with that is some of that duckweed at the end of the season will, when it dies out, it sinks down to the bottom and then when springtime comes along and the sun gets stronger and some of that sunlight hits the bottom of that pond, it starts photosynthesizing again, it becomes a buoyant, pops back up. So uh, that's one of those plants again, that if you really wanna try to control it, uh, there are several different types of, of chemicals out there. One type is a contact herbicide. So if you spray it, it just kills the stuff that it comes in contact with. Another kind, uh, and I believe the active ingredient is called fluoridone, uh, it's more of one of those systemic herbicides where you put it in the water, you have to have a certain concentration of it to kill it out. And that will do a, a fairly decent job with it, but you'll also get sticker shock when you look at the price of it. <laughs> it again depends, like you say, on how much you really want to uh, put into that to get the result that you want. So, um, you know, again, that's, that's really up to the individual on what they're wanting to do with that pond. And so again, like controlling duckweed timing wise, right now is probably too late. Yep, another one of those. And most areas when they're, they're asking about that, they probably have a pond that's almost completely covered with yeah. it. So mm -hmm. they did something to it all at once. Um, with that systemic herbicide, yeah, they could very easily end up with a fish kill. Okay, yeah. So yeah, definitely be careful with that. I've, I've definitely seen uh, instances where folks have pumped a lot of stuff into a pond and they've had the fish kill. 
mm-hmm. uh, the one actually right near my house. Uh, so they did that. Hope you weren't downwind. I was not <laughs> downwind. Um, so, but it, it was a it, interesting situation uh, because you know where the wind blows, that's where the fish wind up because that's where they all mm-hmm. float above onto shore there. So, and that's that's got that's frustrating for the for the pond owner, mm-hmm. and uh, you know they've invested all that money in fish, and they probably have kids and or grandkids that mm-hmm. want to come out there and do that. And so they have to wait a whole season or longer before they can get that fish population back. Yeah. Um, so it's, we usually, anything after July 1st, we say really back away from doing much mm-hmm. with ponds, except on the uh, uh, above ground growth uh, after July 1st. Okay. Now, I've, I've always mentioned to folks, you know, when we're talking about things like rain gardens, things like that, you know, if they want to try to solve a drainage problem, you have to start higher up in the watershed, um, you know, and so I'm thinking like improving some of the drainage ways in the ponds or, you know, other things you can do. Does that ring true in that sense? Oh yeah. If you have the ability to do that, that's fantastic. Uh, I was just out on a pond a couple of weeks ago and they had a really nice vegetative area going back up quite a ways from where their pond was at. And their pond was very clean because of that, because it was trapping all that sediment before mm-hmm. it got in there. And of course, when you trap the sediment, you're also trapping some of those nutrients that are going in with that sediment. Um, so the more that you can have as a buffer between where the pond is and where the, especially any fields are at or anything like that, or nutrients are being loaded onto that, the better. Um, some people actually have uh, retention or sediment ponds where the water will go in and settle and then you have cleaner water going on into the pond. The only thing is with those sediment ponds, you've got to clean those out yeah. about every two to three years. You've got to have equipment access and yep. everything. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, that's a lot of great information. So Ken, Katie, think, I think we've got one in the bag, a live show. Well, sort of live, still recorded, but we're here together together Together, finally (laughs) well Dwayne thank you for uh, being with us on this uh, inaugural journey of uh, sitting amongst each other Uh, I feel honored I'm just yeah I want to wave to the crowd (laughs) (laughs) we'll get a parade going outside (laughs) I already got the the limo set up (laughs) be taking uh uh, autographs from nine to nine oh three tonight. That's right. That's right. Twenty dollars per signature. So, well, Dwayne, energy and environment educator here in Jacksonville, Illinois. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Quite welcome. Well, Ken, Katie, thank you as always for being here in person, uh, no doubt. And um, just want to remind folks that the Good Growing Podcast is produced by Wendy Ferguson, edited by me, Chris Enroth. So, Katie, Ken. We're going to do this again. I don't think we're going to be in person, though, next time. So, right. All right. All right. Well, thank you for oh, both you're being here. Once is enough, right? <laughs> I've had my fill. <laughs> One more year, we'll do this again. So, but Katie, can thank you for being here today. Yeah, thank you, Dwayne. Thank you. Good to see you guys in person. Good to see you, Dwayne. Chris and Katie, thank you for coming to beautiful Jacksonville. <laughs> Wonderful. Come on, Ken, what's the line? Oh. <laughs> Sorry. Let's do this again next week. Oh, we shall do this again next week. We are going to be back in our Brady box. Wait, I can't say that. Brady bunch boxes. Uh, we're going to be talking containers, gardening containers, whether it's uh, food, 
ornamentals. That's what we're going to be talking about. So uh, listeners, thanks for doing what you do best. That is listening. Or if you're watching us on YouTube, watching. And as always, keep on growing. Ha, ha, ha.